Hi, it's Dwyer, always, 1776.com. Also, gamblersadvisory.com. Today is Sunday, July 17th, 2022. Remember, the opinion you should follow should be your own. Just consider this video to be a second opinion from a complete stranger online. Now, let me just point out that uh, I'm in my 50s. My family moved to the United States from Jamaica in the 1960s, a little before my memories were created. My family loved John F. Kennedy. I got the feeling the politician who inspired them to come to the United States was John F. Kennedy, that their trip to this country was several years in the making. My parents also loved Lyndon Baines Johnson, right? My father, a social worker, talked about the Great Society. The entire time I was a kid in the 1970s in my household, there was a lot of optimism. The idea was that the United States of America was a great country and that these men, John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Baines Johnson, changed the country. Well, it was later <clears throat> that I started learning about Robert F. Kennedy. I understood that Robert F. Kennedy was the attorney general for his big brother, John F. Kennedy. Right, but my parents were more hushed about Robert. It was then that I started to learn, again as a little kid, early grade school, that John F., excuse me, that Robert F. Kennedy had been himself assassinated by Sirhan Sirhan, or at least that's how the official story goes. Years later, and I'll keep this introduction brief. I had read Gerald Posner's book on the Kennedy assassination, and I had an older client who I was helping with his divorce. And this guy was all torn up. We would talk about his divorce. Sometimes I would get a call. He would say, hey, can you come over? Can we just talk about the divorce and stuff like that? He was the kind of guy who wanted to talk about things several times. Again, he was older than me. So I was over at his place one afternoon and we were talking about some of his memories as a child. And he mentioned the Kennedy assassination. Now at this time, I believed the Warren Commission. I had read Gerald Posner's book so we talked about the assassination, and my client, who again was older than me, talked about how he was in school on the day that John F. Kennedy got assassinated. And as he talked about Kennedy, a different Kennedy than the one my parents talked about emerged. The Kennedy in my client's recollection was controversial, right? He was a radical. 
as my client was in school and someone said, the president's been killed. Some of the kids in the school cheered. Right now, my client was an older white guy. Truth be known, he was not the most liberal individual. It was somewhat fascinating. It was happenstance that he picked me as his attorney, right? But as he talked, he was on the fence at the time about Kennedy. But he remembered people looking at Kennedy as somehow being anti-American. That Kennedy was, my words, not his. Someone who was spending a lot of his time helping people of color. Right, Kennedy was someone who allowed Fidel Castro to bring communism just a few miles off American shores to the island of Cuba. That that would not have happened with other presidents. That Kennedy was a bit of a radical that America was going to get back to being America now that John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. So I, of course, dug a little deeper into Kennedy. Kennedy is one of my favorite presidents ever, right? The only other president I place on par with Kennedy is Abraham Lincoln, right? So I spoke with my client. I was mesmerized. I spoke with my client a lot more uh, before his case settled in our favor. And my client continued on this storyline of Kennedy being a rogue president. Then the pieces started to fit for me. I did more research. Understand, at that time, I firmly believed that Lee Harvey Oswald had assassinated the President of the United States and that Oswald did not have help. Right? That the evidence put forth in Gerald Posner's book was really what happened and that Oswald wanted fame and glory uh, and that Oswald himself had a very colorful past, defector to Russia, and that while the case had some loose ends, the Warren Commission got to the truth of the matter. I no longer believe that, right? I've done a lot of research on the assassination. I've looked more deeply into Kennedy the man, the problems Kennedy had. We'll call it politely a zipper problem that had Kennedy having affairs with very young women, right, very young women uh, who were involved in their own professional roles at the White House, secretaries and the like, right? I encourage people to read Cy Hirsch's The Dark Side of Camelot, right? I encourage people, better yet, to look at the special that aired on ABC with Peter Jennings, where he actually interviews some of Kennedy's Secret Service. And they love the man, but they reluctantly admitted that they arranged liaisons for Kennedy and other women. 
Now the thesis of this video is simply to get at the truth. But understand the truth is really one that's going to let you understand that you might not be living in the country you thought you were living in. Right? I believe the truth is so shocking that Robert F. Kennedy could not ever have been allowed to be President of the United States because that would have given him the power to fully investigate the death of his older brother, President John F. Kennedy. And had he had that opportunity, he would have found a simply stunning cover-up that would have ended careers, changed lives, and changed history. Now, there is a simple truth that must be considered. I'm going to try to name names here. I want you to view this video as really an introductory video. All of us have access to the Internet. You can look up the witnesses. You can look up their recollection of events. You can look up their past statements. But there is a simple truth that must be considered concerning the assassination of John F. Kennedy. It is true that anyone, including a disgruntled former Marine, perhaps a delegate of an upset mob boss, could have pulled the trigger or triggers on the rifle or rifles that shot and killed President Kennedy. Many people could have pulled the trigger. But only one group could have faked the autopsy. And that's the United States government. So the question is, was the autopsy faked? And were the people behind that fraud at risk of being exposed by a subsequent investigation by someone like Robert F. Kennedy, should Bobby have become President of the United States? Any participation, any, in a cover-up by high-ranking officials would have been treason. Again, it would have ended careers. It would have resulted in criminal prosecutions and a further investigation into whether the fake autopsy was part of a conspiracy to kill the President of the United States. Whether the fake autopsy was in fact part of a coup d'etat. Let's consider it. It is one of the iconic scenes in American history. President Kennedy has just been shot. On the Zapruder film, a portion of his head bounces off the back of the presidential limousine. First Lady Jackie Kennedy leaves her seat, seemingly to retrieve the blown-off part of her husband's skull. And she actually grabs it. Secret Service agent Clint Hill, importantly, Look into his past. Again, his name is Clint Hill. He's a military veteran. 
Let's also understand that the early 1960s very different than now. Many people had served in World War II, right, less than 20 years earlier. Many people had served in Korea. Now, Clint Hill, a military veteran, runs up to the vehicle. He's the Secret Serviceman who you see run up to the vehicle in the Zapruder film. And he moves to keep Jackie in the car. Now, of all the people in the world, Clint Hill, at that moment, is physically the closest to the president and has the best view of the president's injuries. According to Clint Hill, and let's go by the best evidence, not some presidential commission dealing with political wins, but let's just go by the eyewitness recollection of the people who were there, who observed things themselves. According to Clint Hill, he sees a hole in the back of the president's head by the president's right ear with the president's brain tissue, some of which is on the car, visible. He further notices that the president's eyes are not closed. They are open. And that, as he puts it, they are set. At that moment, Clint Hill realized that the president was seriously hurt and was unlikely to make it. Clint Hill has discussed his observations many times. Some of the films are here on YouTube. I ask that before you look at the Warren Commission's findings, that you look up Clint Hill's testimony. Understand, this is eyewitness testimony with an excellent view with military knowledge, with facts such as were the president's eyes open or closed? Was there brain tissue on the car? Was, the, was there a hole in the back of the president's head and was it big enough where Hill himself could see the president's brain tissue? Now, let me just point out that there are videos here on YouTube where Clint Hill himself holds his hand up to his own head to show you where the hole in the president's head was. Right? I'm going to represent to you that the hole, according to Clint Hill, is right around here. This is how he holds up his hand to the back of his head, behind the president's right ear. Now at Parkland Hospital, Surgeon Dr. Robert McClellan, again, his name is Robert McClellan, 
also saw the wound. Now, McClellan was 18 inches away from Kennedy's head. That's a foot and a half. As Dr. McClellan put it, here is the quote. I could see that the whole back half of his right cerebral hemisphere was gone. Let me repeat that. I could see that the whole back half of his right cerebral hemisphere was gone. He then cupped his hand in the size of an orange and said, it was a hole about like this size. As I said, the whole back half, the right side of his brain, was gone. Here again, if you look up Dr. Robert McClellan here on YouTube, and again, I want you to view this video as introductory, but if you look up Robert McClellan here on YouTube, keeping in mind that he was at Parkland Hospital, where Kennedy was taken right after being shot, you're going to see that there's a video where he himself points to the back of his own head. He even has a drawing that he drew of the orange-sized hole, orange-sized hole in the back of Kennedy's head. And yet, the autopsy photos show no such wound. Right? Understand, many more people saw the hole in the back of Kennedy's head. You have a military veteran, Clint Hill, the man from the Zapruder film, Secret Service agent who describes the same hole that Robert McClellan, a surgeon with medical training. Presumably, he's not going to confuse the back of Kennedy's head with the front of Kennedy's head. Right? Describing the same wound. We have autopsy photos. And let's just say... The autopsy photos are inconsistent. Something doesn't add up. Both can't be true. Clint Hill, Robert McClellan, the countless people at Parkland who saw the hole in the back of Kennedy's head could not all be correct and yet have these autopsy photos that show no hole. Well, understand the issue is significant because an orange-sized hole in the back of President Kennedy's head would indicate a shot from the front. The hole in the back of his head would be an exit wound. The assassin of the president would not have been Lee Harvey Oswald who supposedly is in back of the president in the Texas School Book Depository. 
Now, in earlier videos, I've pointed out that it's impossible for Oswald to have been the shooter based on the women who went down the staircase, Vicki Adams, Sandra Stiles, and their boss, Dorothy Gardner, who was there in the vestibule of the fourth floor of the Texas School Book Depository. He, she sees these workers go down the stairs 60 seconds after the shots are heard, and then she's still there when Marion Baker and Roy Truly come up the stairs. There's no Lee Harvey Oswald on those stairs. Understand, too, that the door to the second floor where Marion Baker looks through and sees Oswald on the second floor, right? Understand, Oswald would have necessarily been seen by Dorothy Gardner if she's there in the fourth floor vestibule right before she sees baker and truly who of course spot oswald on the second floor understand that door on the second floor had a dampener on it no one sees that door closing slowly which it would have to have done if oswald raced from the sixth floor runs downstairs and then of course makes it into that door. Right, so we've pointed out here in earlier videos that Oswald, the story doesn't fit him. I understand. Some witnesses see a man firing bullets from the Texas School Book Depository. That person is not Lee Harvey Oswald, who we know is on the second floor. So here, understand the entire Lee Harvey Oswald narrative of the assassination, all of the findings of the Warren Commission with regard to how Oswald is supposed to have done this killing would be discredited if Clint Hill is right, Surgeon Dr. Robert McClellan is right, the people at Parkland Hospital the other doctors are right, that there's a hole in the back of Kennedy's head. Now, let me just say that FBI agent O'Neill, Francis O'Neill Jr., was at the autopsy. And he later said that more than half of the president's brain was missing. You have an FBI agent at the autopsy, at the autopsy, who sees that the president's brain is nowhere near intact. It's nowhere near normal. But yet, according to the autopsy, the president's brain weighed 1,500 grams, which is about 200 grams more than the average brain. The 1998 Assassination Review Board's, uh, Records Review Board's head, Douglas Horn, who appears on Oliver Stone's JFK, Destiny Denied, 
is 90 to 95% certain. His words, not mine. 90 to 95% certain that the brain discussed in the JFK autopsy is not JFK's brain. If you've watched the Zapruder film, you know it's not. Because you see the brain tissue. You see the debris leaving Kennedy's head. You see it. There's no way debris could have left Kennedy's head in the Zapruder film, and yet Kennedy's brain have actually weighed 200 grams more than the normal brain after losing mass. There's no way Kennedy's brain is intact after he's hit in the head with at least one rifle shot. Now understand, we would be able to solve this easily. And of course, the brain was not dissected. Highly unusual. So we can't even look at a dissected brain and trace bullet trajectories. Now, were this to happen today, we all know about DNA. We would say, okay, well, let's see if the DNA of the 1500 gram brain matches John F. Kennedy's DNA. If it does, okay, it's his brain. If it doesn't, it's not his brain. What I want people to understand is that that test is not possible today. Because Kennedy's brain, right, arguably the brain from the most notorious assassination of the 20th century, went missing in 1966. How could that possibly happen? Unless there's a cover-up. Understand, too, that it's not just the brain. It's the tissue slides that went missing in 1966. So, let's talk about what we know here. And it's a bit shocking. We now know, thanks to the records of the members of the military who actually helped transport Kennedy's body, and that transportation has too many irregularities to list in this short video, which has already gone 27 minutes. But we now know that there is about a one hour and 20 minute gap of time between when Kennedy's body is delivered to Bethesda Medical Center and when the autopsy officially started with others present, right? Understand, we now know because of declassified memos that some military members drop off the body, and the body is with Yoon, who does the autopsy, right? About 6.35-ish, 
the day the autopsy is done. The autopsy doesn't formally start until 8 o'clock. Now what I want to do is to get back to the head of the 1998 Assassination Records Review Board, Douglas Horn. Understand, folks, he was the head of the Assassination Records Review Board. I want you to focus on that, not the church committee from the 70s, not the Warren Commission from the 60s. What I want you to do is to focus on the 1998 Assassination Records Review Board. These are people who interviewed a bunch of folks who further investigated what happened, because I believe the truth is so stunning that it took America decades to finally get at the truth. Understand that Douglas Horn believes that a clandestine surgery took place conducted by Hume, H-U-M-E, between the time when the bodies delivered at Bethesda Medical Center from 6.35 to 8 o'clock when the autopsy is supposed to have officially begun. Understand, too, this theory has some support because the X-ray photos actually show metal fragments that appear to indicate that Kennedy's head was hit with a bullet from the front. The clandestine surgery was to clean out bullet fragments from Kennedy's brain. I know this sounds preposterous, but it is simply incredible that Hume relatively inexperienced, not one of the country's foremost forensic pathologists, was tasked with doing the autopsy. And it is simply incredible that it's taken us decades to realize that he had the body one hour and 25 minutes longer than anyone realized. Right? So understand if you believe Douglas Horn, again, he's not a charlatan, folks. He's the head of the 1998 Assassination Records Review Board. If you believe Douglas Horn, he believes that Hume opened up Kennedy's head, took out his brain, tried to remove bullet fragments from the front of the brain. Now here's where it gets interesting, because history happens under imperfect circumstances. There are a couple people there. Tom Robinson, remember that name, Google him, Tom Robinson Kennedy Autopsy. He is actually a person from the funeral home. Right? You have different people who are supposed to have different levels of participation with Kennedy's body. 
who just happened to be there early, right? He's there before the autopsy. And, of course, he sees Yoon with Kennedy's brain operating on it. He counts ten bullet fragments. Ten. Folks, Tom Robinson's recollections not in the record. Right? You're not going to find him in the Warren Commission talking about the ten bullet fragments. There's somebody else, Penny Officer David, who sees four large metal bullet fragments. Right? These people who are there early, and they actually see you working on Kennedy's body. Let me point out, too, that the autopsy is inconsistent with some of the available evidence. Understand there is a piece of bone, it's called the Harper Fragment, that was found in Dealey Plaza shortly after President Kennedy was shot. It was found by a medical student, Billy Harper. Right, he takes it to his uncle, who happens to be a pathologist. It's human bone from the occipital part of the head. Understand, this is a huge bone. It measures three inches by two inches. About the size of an orange. It dovetails perfectly with surgeon Dr. Robert McClellan's recollection of the hole in the back of Kennedy's head. Right, the Harper fragment is forwarded to Kennedy's doctor, Dr. Berkeley. Would it shock you to learn that just like Kennedy's brain went missing, the Harper fragment went missing? So, what I want people to do, and let me point out too, I mentioned Penny Officer David. His name is Dennis David. Please Google him. Right? He actually ends up with a receipt for four bullet fragments that he claims, in terms of mass, would have equaled one to two bullets. Now understand, things were frantic after the president got shot, as you can imagine. You know, the president's body is transported out of the state of Texas. It ends up in Maryland. There were a lot of moving parts. Now, J. Edgar Hoover's close friend at the FBI, his roommate, was Clyde Tolson. Working right under Clyde Tolson, arguably the third man in the FBI pecking order, was a gentleman named Alan Belmont. Would it shock you to learn that at the time that the autopsy is being done, FBI agent Alan Belmont, the night of November 22nd, writes a memo, please look up the Belmont 
memo. This is all part of American history, folks. It's a declassified document. It's declassified now. In the Belmont memo, Alan Belmont says that the Secret Service has one bullet and that there is also a bullet lodged behind the president's ear. Right? Think about that. It's a bullet lodged behind the president's ear. The Belmont memo is inconsistent with the Hume autopsy. Understand, too, that forensic pathologists pride themselves on their notes. They're often witnesses at trial when someone is accused of a murder. The forensic pathologist can discuss the nature and extent of the murder victim's injuries. So the forensic pathologist will depend on their notes. Would it shock you that in arguably the biggest murder in the United States of the 20th century, Dr. Yoon burned his notes? He did not keep his notes. Even though, as Cyril Wacht has pointed out, as others have pointed out, Lee Harvey Oswald is still alive at the time this autopsy is conducted. Right? Think about that. Why would Dr. Hume burn his notes? His story is that his notes got smeared with the president's blood and he didn't want people having a morbid curiosity and looking at his notes. Is that enough, in your opinion, for him to make a decision to destroy evidence that's relevant to Oswald's rights as an American to a fair trial? Is that sufficient reason to destroy notes relevant to, highly relevant, to the murder of an American president? Let me also point out that Oliver Stone, in his recent JFK movies, does an excellent job of talking about the controversy and folks it's big concerning the photographs of the president's brain. It might shock you that there are two sets of photographs. It might shock you that the identity of the actual photographers is in doubt that when the 1998 Assassination Records Review Board actually questioned one alleged photographer, the photographer pointed out that the photos in the file were taken on different film 
than the film he would have used. Right? He did not believe that those were his photos. And of course, there is the question of the brain. Would it shock you to know that there are two different examinations of the brain? Taken, that took place, by the way, on two different days. In other words, you have irregularities that really can't be explained. Let me point out, too, that Dr. Yoon burns his notes. You have a Dr. Fink who actually helped with the autopsy. He was outraged because his notes simply disappeared. The version of his notes that exists are notes he had to recreate from memory sometime after the autopsy. So what I believe happened is I believe that someone went to Navy man Dr. Humes and explained to him that national security depended on him faking the autopsy. Kennedy could not have any shots from the front. I believe that Humes was given one hour and about 20 minutes to find a way to clean Kennedy's brain of bullet fragments from bullets that came from the front. Right, one hour and 20 minutes. There's some people who are there early, right, Tom Robinson, the penny officer, Dennis, and they see Dr. Yoon, before the formal autopsy was to begin, they see him with Kennedy's brain. He's opened up Kennedy's head. And they see him working on Kennedy's brain. Understand, when the formal autopsy starts, there's another forensic pathologist who's there who has already given an interview, at least one interview, where he talked about how it looked like Kennedy's brain had already been operated upon. Now, Tom Robinson claims that he saw at least 10 bullet fragments removed from the president's brain. At least 10. Just to understand that the illicit surgery before the actual autopsy didn't get all the fragments because there are x-rays that show metallic fragments in the front of Kennedy's head that are consistent based on the sizes of the fragments with Kennedy having been hit from the front. So we can't look at the actual brain, it's missing. We can't look at brain dissections, did not happen. 
I believe that Hume and his team were picked. Hume in particular. Because they were members of the Navy. They're not civilians. Right? And Hume was, giving, was given marching orders. That he had to fake the autopsy. To remove shots from the front. Understand, it could simply have been a patriotic plea where some higher-ranking officer said to you, we need for you to do this because the bullets from the front, we can't identify the actual assassin, but this would have national security implications. In other words, Hume could have been misled to believe that some rogue, someplace, perhaps without the authorization of their government, did this assassination, and that he was protecting national security by following orders and by making it look like Kennedy was hit from the back. Let me point out, too, that they cover up the hole in the back of Kennedy's head, right? It's covered up to the point where either you believe that the autopsy photo of the back of Kennedy's head is legitimate, or you believe that the recollections of people like Clint Hill, the Secret Service man, who heroically runs up to the vehicle as the president's head is exploding and gets Jackie back in her seat and looks at the president. Either he and doctors like Dr. Robert McClellan are correct, and there's a hole in the back of Kennedy's head that's consistent with the Harper fragment given to Kennedy's doctor or you believe the autopsy what is factually impossible is to believe both the Harper fragment can't exist if Kennedy's head looks like it does in the autopsy let me point out, too, that we've heard a lot about mob guys, right? Santos Traficante, Jack Ruby, right? Ruby tracking Oswald down at the police station, right? With a lump in his clothes that suggests that Ruby has a gun on him, right? We're hearing that Oswald's uncle was in the mob, right? Oswald, of course leaves Dallas to go to New Orleans, um, where, of course, there are mobsters all over the place. What I want people to do is to understand that while the mob could do a lot of things, including assassinate Oswald, the mob could not fake the autopsy. Only one group could do that. Let me close with this. We now know 
without a doubt, that the Warren Commission was such that Gerald Ford, future president of the United States, contacted the FBI and told them, hey, I can be your source, your leak for information the Warren Commission does, right? The FBI had a leak in the Warren Commission. The CIA didn't need a leak because the former head of the CIA, Alan Dulles, curiously, was picked by Lyndon Johnson to be on the Warren Commission. And of course, Alan Dulles never reveals the ties that Jack Ruby had to the CIA, that the mob had to the CIA, that's never disclosed, right? But let's go further, because I need for people to understand the times. We know about the Civil Rights Act of 1964, after Kennedy is killed, right? Lyndon Johnson is able to strong-arm Congress into passing the Civil Rights Act of 64. What's not fully appreciated is that John F. Kennedy, who my client thought was a radical, in 1963, from the Oval Office, right? This is not authored by Congress. It's authored by the Oval Office, presents the Civil Rights Act of 1963, up until that point, people need to understand that there had never been in American history a Civil Rights Act as progressive as the Civil Rights Act of 1963. It is so much of a break from the past that Kennedy, who's only in office for two years and ten months, is unable to get it through Congress. Right? Kennedy is a civil rights guy. So somebody tell me how, given that Kennedy's a civil rights guy, that Lyndon Johnson, in addition to having, curiously, Alan Dulles, who Kennedy had fired from the CIA, on the Warren Commission, he goes further and has a couple of segregationists, right? Richard Russell, folks, is a segregationist on the Warren Commission. In other words, Johnson goes out of his way to put people on the Warren Commission who weren't exactly best friends with John F. Kennedy. Let, let me just close, too, by making another point. Years later, on the Watergate tapes, Richard Nixon, whose vice president at one point was Spiro Agnew, who had to step down because of corruption. Richard Nixon is openly talking about what he calls the Bay of Pigs thing. Now, Gerald Ford, who was played by Chevy Chase, on Saturday Night Live. They had him falling down the stairs and stuff like that. Gerald Ford was portrayed in, let's say, popular culture as a buffoon. In actuality, Gerald Ford, great college athlete, was Phi Beta Kappa. Don't you find it odd 
that when things started going south on Nixon, right? Let's remember, Nixon is basically told he has to resign by Barry Goldwater, who was the 64 GOP nominee for the president, right? Don't you find it odd that when things went south, when Nixon had to push out his vice president, right, which was stunning at the time, that Nixon chooses as his vice president a former member of the Warren Commission, who we now understand was the FBI's leak on that Warren Commission. How old was Jerry Ford when he was on the Warren Commission? I understand that people like Earl Warren, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Alan Dulles, former head of the CIA, I understand they were viewed as authority figures. What was young guy Jerry Ford doing on the Warren Commission, and how did he curiously end up as Nixon's administration's going south, as Nixon's second vice president? Right? Understand. When our country turned 200 in 1976, the president of the United States at that time had not been elected president or vice president. It was Gerald Ford. So I would argue that you had insiders with different agendas on the Warren Commission trying to sell the American people on a story very few people, very few people, had to know the truth of what happened in the assassination. Right? All they had to know is that the CIA and the FBI wanted closure and were willing to have an unknown Hume do the autopsy. And that the autopsy, right, was done in a way where the pictures don't match up with the recollections of almost anybody who was at Parkland Hospital in Dallas. In other words, folks, the cover-up here wasn't even a good cover-up. Everyone knew that Clint Hill was the Secret Service agent right in back of the presidential limo. All anyone had to do to learn about the hole in the, of the back of the president's head was to talk to Clint Hill. All anyone had to do was to talk to the doctors at Parkland, find out that there was a hole in the back of the president's head. All anyone had to do was to find out about the Harper fragment. Understand, if the Harper fragment for the occipital part of Kennedy's head, if the Harper fragment, which is found in Dealey Plaza, had no connection to the Kennedy assassination, why was it then ever given to Kennedy's personal physician? George Berkeley. I encourage you to also... Google George Berkeley. There's a moment there where George Berkeley actually contacts a third party and says, look, I know that there was more than one shooter in my client's assassination.
And then, of course, he retreats from the statements. Right? Understand, the Harper fragment can be traced all the way to George Berkeley, and then it disappears, just like the president's brain does. After the autopsy. Right? So, folks, understand, I wish I could go back to a time where I had so much faith in the Warren Commission that I actually believed that Oswald was a lone gunman. Now I don't believe Oswald was a gunman. Right, sure, someone has a rifle sticking out a window at the Texas School Book Depository, right? That person might not have hit the president with any bullets. That's how I see it. Let me hear from you. Tell me, please, in the comment section of this video where I'm wrong. If I have miscast the beliefs and testimony statements, public statements of Clint Hill, of Robert McClellan, and I've limited it to them. Folks, there are countless others who saw the hole in the back of the president's head, understand, one of the FBI agents at the autopsy was able to draw for the Assassination Records Review Board a picture of the back of the president's head with the hole. That's an FBI agent at the autopsy. Right? If I have misstated anyone's recollection, tell us about it in the comment section of this video. And if you believe it's possible for the autopsy to be true and the recollections of Clint Hill and Robert McClellan to also be true, if you believe that the president's missing brain, that the missing Harper fragment can be innocently explained, tell us about all of that in the comment section of this video. Thank you for indulging me. God bless America. Thank you for stopping by.